the ransomware pandemic that is showing no signs of stopping, and the deepfakes arms race. These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hi, I'm Anna Delaney, and a happy Thanksgiving to those of you tuning in from the States. As most of us yearn for an accelerated end to the COVID-19 pandemic, criminals, on the other hand, might disagree, having done rather well as a result of a global crisis. So what's the latest in the criminal profit-making tactics? Our first report this week is from ISMG's executive editor of Data Breach Today in Europe, Matthew Schwartz, who reports on how criminals are not holding back in their demands. The hottest type of online crime in 2020 has become enterprise-scale ransomware operations. In part, cybercrime gangs have the COVID-19 pandemic to thank for their ongoing success, and not just with ransomware. Earlier this year, of course, many workers were suddenly forced to work remotely. And many organizations might not have had the best security controls in place, at least at the outset, to protect them. So says Craig Jones, director of cybercrime at Interpol. In particular, starting in the spring, Jones says criminals have been able to take tried and true attacks and give them some refinements that have made them even more successful. Nothing really majorly changed in, in what cyber criminals were doing. They were still doing their phishing campaigns. They were still doing ransomware. They were still doing network intrusions. But what they looked to do then was take advantage of a COVID-19 situation and use that as a way to get into people's computer systems. We saw quite a spike in phishing emails. We saw uh, also um, malicious domains being set up in order to facilitate some of the criminal actions. Jones was speaking Wednesday at CybercrimeCon, a conference hosted annually by Group IB, of course held virtually this year. Jones says that during the pandemic, attackers have also continued to refine their use of ransomware. We saw quite a difference as well in, in the ransomware, and I think maybe it might have been because there was more reporting of it, but we saw that uh, critical national infrastructures such as hospitals and healthcare institutions were suffering from ransomware attacks. Unfortunately, ransomware attackers' targeting and technical innovations have continued to pay off. Ransomware incident response from Coveware, for example, reports that the average ransom paid by a victim, when they paid, increased by 31% from Q2 to Q3 of this year. It leapt from $178,000 up to an average of $234,000 per victim. Underpinning that increase has been a shift by many ransomware gangs to focus on large targets via so-called big game hunting. Experts say attackers have found that with a little extra work, they can take down larger enterprises and demand much bigger ransoms. Big game hunting really raised ransom demands. That's Group IB digital forensics specialist Oleg Skulkin speaking Thursday at CyberCrimeCon. Nowadays, it's absolutely okay for many threat actors to ask for a few millions of dollars as a ransom. Back in the day, we saw big ransom demands, but it was around a hundred thousand or a few hundred of thousand. But nowadays, we are seeing millions in demands more and more often. 
beyond big game hunting, the growth in ransomware affiliate programs is also driving higher profits for ransomware operators. Affiliate programs involve the operator providing ransomware code to an affiliate, who then infects victims. Every time a victim pays, typically using infrastructure maintained by the operator, the operator will keep between 15% and 30% of the income, on average. This model has allowed attackers to play to their expertise. Operators create and keep the ransomware code updated. Affiliates, meanwhile, don't need to worry about monkeying around with code. Instead, they can focus on brute-forcing remote desktop protocol connections, phishing attacks, and other techniques, followed by network penetration, reconnaissance, and then deploying their crypto-locking malware, all in pursuit of a criminal payday. Here's Dmitry Volkov, CTO of Group IB, talking about the popularity now of affiliate schemes, especially with ransomware-as-a-service offerings. Since the middle of 2019, the number of such affiliate programs doubled. And because it's so popular, even the biggest banking botnet operators joined such affiliate programs and start to use their banking botnets to deploy ransomware and, of course, ask for ransom as affiliates. If you had to summarize the last year to two years in cybercrime, it would probably be this. Ransomware has become hot and banking Trojans not. As always, cybercrime continues to evolve. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Matthew Schwartz. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Deepfake technology, which uses machine learning to create realistic audio and video, is emerging as a major cyber threat. You've probably watched Obama, Mark Zuckerberg, and even Princess Leia charm us amusingly in manipulated video footage. But as technology and artistry improve at lightning speed, what progress is being made when it comes to detecting and defending against this tech? Well, ISMG's Director of Banking and Payments, Nick Holland, spoke with Aviva Litan, VP and Distinguished Analyst at Gartner, for her take on how we're doing in the deepfakes arms race. Here she is. Well, actually, it's not all hopeless. Certainly, the actual detection of the content is not good enough. That gets down to 65% at best. But there are other techniques that you can use. So, you know, remember security principles, layered security. You have to have multiple layers of security. If the bad guy gets through one, they can't get to through two, they definitely can't get through three. That's the idea. So the most difficult layer, but the most effective is whitelisting all the objects on the internet. You know that that's going to be difficult, but when you produce a news story, you actually authenticate. I wrote this news story. This is the object and you hash that object. So no one can alter the text. If they alter it, the hash won't match up. And you can follow this story on a blockchain. A blockchain is an immutable ledger that will track the provenance of the story. So you need, you need to start out with whitelist validation. It has to be able to tolerate certain drifts in the object's manifestation. So for example, if a voice is hoarse, if a photograph is altered because of the light. So there are algorithms that'll look for nuances that are still valid. And there are whitelisting tools today being offered by technology providers like Adobe is offering one for content created on their platform. 
Microsoft came up with one called the Video Authenticator. The vendors are providing the ability to whitelist objects. It's mainly videos and photographs, but it can right. also be applied to text. So that's the strongest layer on top of the deep fake content detection. And then the third layer is good old fraud detection. Just like botnet detection and fraud detection work today, they look at the metadata around the deep fake and they will examine the origin. So for example, today, most deep fakes are served by botnets. That revenge porn industry has botnets that are serving these up. And you can have AI-based behavioral analysis of both the server side and the client side. So you can look at the server side, look at the payload, the HTTP requests, the relationships. On the client side, you can look at the mouse movements, the device information. So it's very achievable. I think the whitelisting is going to be a chicken and egg issue. You can't, right. you got to get companies on board. But if you can't trust anything out that's out there, which is pretty much the situation today, I think more companies will be open to these technologies. And finally, tis the season to be jolly, or maybe not as jolly as usual, but there is light at the end of the COVID-19 tunnel. So says pandemic expert Regina Phelps, who met with ISNG's senior vice president of editorial, Tom Field, earlier this week. Do listen to their full conversation on our sites, where she shares insight on the virus, testing, and how soon we might see vaccines. However, there's still a way to go, and we won't be returning to offices or conferences anytime soon. So in the weeks, months, and seasons that remain, how can companies nurture and reinforce cultural norms among dispersed employees and offer staff the additional support they might need? Here's Phelps with her advice. What I've seen that is the most successful is to get involved in storytelling. Think about how people can either tell stories of employees and not putting a name to it, of course, but about a particular situation. And maybe it's people that are homeschooling and they really felt so frustrated that they needed to reach out to somebody. So you tell a little bit of a story and somebody goes like, oh, that's me. That's me. That could help me. And so I think that's really helpful as you go along. Some of my clients have actually done a variety of giving people tools, like a whole company gave everybody that worked for them the Calm app on their phone. I've had them give other types of just simple like yoga classes online or a fitness schedule or something like that so that people could do deep breathing or meditation or prayers or whatever. So I think that that's super helpful. Some of my clients have also organized all kinds of groups, whether it's cooking groups or how do you, you know, ideas of how do you do home schooling or how do you take care of your kids? You know, literally like little cluster support groups that you could do on Zoom and they could do it over lunch, have lunch and talk to each other. So I think there's creative ways that you can do things like that. And that also means even things like casual check-ins where you kind of meet periodically with your buds and it's not about working on a project, but you're just checking in with each other and do those with some regularity, not making it like a forced meeting. But, you know, it's like, God, I haven't talked to you much, Tom. And what's going on in your life? And let's just chat. So I think those things can be super helpful. There was a really creative idea that was in the Wall Street Journal this week. I don't know if you saw it. It was on, in case your listeners are interested in, it was on November 14th. And it's where several companies were saying, we should have mandatory holidays. So maybe every so many months, we're going to mandate a holiday. It'll be a Friday or a Monday. And there can be no meetings no business activities, and everybody gets it off. So that means you don't, shouldn't be checking your email. Or sh and so the idea is how can you allow people to have some space? So I think those are important things that you could be thinking about, about how you could actually look at your culture and also how you could think about people's mental health. 
that's it from ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Anna Delaney. Until next time.